Welcome to the Food, Family and Friends podcast, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. Now it's time to join your host, Vanessa Baxter. Good morning, it's Vanessa Baxter here on Podcast New Zealand Food, Family and Friends, soon to be retitled The Fearless Kitchen. Today I have a very interesting interview. This is a Skype interview with Jacques Raymond. He is a French chef who has been living in Australia now for more than 35 years. He will be one of the chef extraordinaires who will be cooking up a storm at the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival, which starts on the 31st of March 2017 in Melbourne. And I'm very excited because I will be heading over to Melbourne for a good weekend of delicious food. Uh, Jacques amazing. He's all about uh, his own cuisine, the invented cuisine when he came to Australia uh, as a young chef and merged all of the flavours and the techniques that he had learnt in Europe and overseas and his time in South America. Brought all of that to Australia and um, learnt uh, all about Aussie ingredients and merged all of that together to create a really fascinating modern Australian cuisine. A really interesting interview for you coming up. Uh, A true amazing uh, chef who actually loves to be known as a food composer who directs the show and advises his current chefs uh, at the two restaurants that he owns uh, and runs with his children in Melbourne. Anyway, let's let him talk for himself and please enjoy this interview with Jacques Raymond. Hi Jacques, it's Vanessa here. Uh, Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for uh, coming on my podcast. No problems, no problems. You're welcome. Fantastic. Actually, Jacques, I will let you know that I uh, was at Melbourne University when you opened your very first restaurant in Melbourne. Okay, and okay. And I was working actually for Tony Sassy in Carlton and I had just, oh, yeah. yeah, I was uh, doing... That's a psych- long time. <laughs> it's a really, really, really long time ago. Yes, I'm old, Jacques. <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody is old. Only we're, if you want to be. Exactly, Jacques. We're young in spirit, aren't we? That's correct. Yeah. So, Jacques, I'm so beyond excited to talk to you because in those days uh, at university, you were just kind of these names of people that I didn't imagine that I would ever have an opportunity to talk to. And it was thanks to Tony Sassy and my experience working there that led me away from psychology and into my passion for food myself. And yours was a name that I always, for me, it was synonymous around, you know, the whole fusion of your French technical background and the way you had been trained and then coming into Australia and using different ingredients and fresh ingredients from Australia and Southeast Asia and thinking, wow, this amazing man. But um, we don't want to hear about my recollections of you. Uh, I'm sure that the listeners are going to be so interested to hear uh, from you and, how, and where it all started for you. And I know that as a very young child, you were immersed in food yourself with your family. So can you share a little bit about how you grew up and what was expected of you at such a young age? Well, I'm, I was born in a, in a very remote village in France in a region called Jura. And uh, it was a small village called Cuiseau. And my parents had a, a, a little cafe, which uh, they inherited from my grandfather, and then 
from this they built up a, a 20 room hotel and with a response so i was born into this industry and from a very early age i enjoyed spending time in the kitchen with my father uh, he was not the best chef in the world at all because he didn't like what he was doing. He, he was more interested into developing uh, into a hotel than, you know, cooking in, uh, for the restaurant. But it was a start for me and uh, this is where I developed uh, sort of a passion for, for cooking and as well, you know, love for food. So were you, in, in, in spite of the fact that he wasn't so passionate about the food side of it, you were happy to be in there? You weren't kind of like, oh, I have to help Dad? Were you really yeah, well, genuinely happy to be in there? I was not very happy all the time because when my friends were, you know, having fun playing, you know, soccer and all that in the street and I had to help my father, uh, it was a bit, you know, of a compromise I had to make. But on another hand... This is what made me think that there was something else about cooking than just opening a couple of tins, you know, and mm. uh, serving that on a plate. So this is what made my decision to become a chef and a proper chef uh, and starting to get, you know, an experience all around the world, which I wanted, always wanted to achieve, um, and that's where we started when at a very early age, at 16 years old, I went to uh, the Rotary School in Nice and for two years where I graduated as a chef. And then uh, I went to England after that for one year mm-hmm. where I uh, met my wife and we stayed together since. Wow. So from England, we went to... Um, we went to, oh, what was that after one year? And I went to South Beaumaniere. Oh, yeah. Which was a three stars Michelin. Wow. For one year. Then there was a year in the army. Then there was, uh, we both went to work in a place called La Vernias in Evian Lebin near Geneva. And that was really, really nice for two years. We stayed there for two years. Uh, then we went to Brazil for three years. So we stayed one year in Sao Paulo and uh, we opened the largest at the time, the largest hotel in South America, right in the middle of the jungle in the Amazon. And my understanding from that, Jacques, that you were only around about 23 years of age That's and correct. you had about 100 chefs uh, working I with was, you? Or? Yeah, yeah, I had 145 that is insane. And uh, that's yeah, amazing. It, it was a great experience. <laughs> that is absolutely amazing. Before you went, going right back to the beginning, before you went to chef school, so you were joining your dad. You were kind of one yeah. of those kids, pretty much like some of those kids I remember from Melbourne days as well, who, you know, had to go and help their parents after school, whether it was a dairy or a fish and chip shop or whatever it was. You know, they were just part of their family business at the time. So that was you. But who actually, so I mean, I know you went to chef school, but before that, for your family, were you actually cooking alongside people in your dad's kitchen, in the cafe? Absolutely. I started started in the kitchen with my father at 10 years old. Wow. I I was doing service with him at 10 years old. 
Yeah, that's amazing. And chopping and cutting. So when you went to chef school, out of interest, did you get that you had to just be quiet and, and start learning again? Or, or were you ready to argue with the people who were trying to teach you what, what well, to do? Well, both, both because as it was a very high-tech school at the time, uh, I had an advantage over the other students because I already had quite a fair bit of practice. Yeah. But on the other hand, the teachers didn't like to see that <laughs> because, you know, they thought that I had an advantage on the other ones and they made everything possible to make it harder for me. Mm, yeah, uh, just to knock you, knock you back to size, really. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So once I understood that, that's okay. I just stuck to, you know, Play the, to game. the average labor and that's it. <laughs> Knowing in your mind you would worry about doing better later. That's correct. Fantastic. So at 23, you were responsible for over 100 chefs in South America. That is absolutely extraordinary. With a very, very, very uh, traditional French training background. Uh, at that no, point? Actually, I, I, I really didn't follow up the traditional French background as, as you're talking about. The only thing I always kept in terms of French cuisine is the technique. But I've never followed really the French cuisine. Ah, Even when I was at a very young age, I always wanted to do something different. This is why, actually, I went to Brazil Mm. at an early early age. So what sort of food were you doing in Brazil? Well, just uh, my own food with uh, local ingredients and the new inspiration then this beautiful country gave me and the, and the local people, you know, were showing me. Fantastic. So what an awesome opportunity for you. So by that stage, you'd already been to several countries and been able to immerse yourself in different styles of food. Sure. And then uh, when did you arrive in Australia? Uh, 35 years ago. 35 years ago. Okay. Into Melbourne originally? Yeah, yeah, to Melbourne. To mm-hmm. Melbourne. And that's where you've stayed in Australia? Uh, yes, we always stay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So my understanding is that from there, you were pretty much pretty much called the father of modern Australian cuisine in those days because you really brought something quite unique to the food scene at that time. So do you want to share what your feeling was when you kind of got to Australia? What was it that you fell in love with? What ingredients were the first things you fell in love with? Oh, there was just mainly uh, for me a country where I could actually do my own cuisine and where I would find the ingredients for that. That's very important because I couldn't find them in Europe. Uh, And where I could find as well support from the local people, you know, to be prepared to taste this sort of fusion, uh, which was, as I said, some French technique, but mainly an inspiration through Asian cuisine and Asian influences and Asian fragrances. So out of that as well, when I came here, I discovered what we call here the, the bush food. Um, and uh, I made friends with a lot of indigenous people, aboriginals, and they showed me, you know, all the local products. Wow. And uh, I was actually, yes, probably the first one to use these sort of products sure. in cuisine at the time, 35 years ago. And this combined with my Asian influences was, you know, a great success because it was something different 
And then I said, well, I've done it. I've created my own style of cuisine and people come to me for that. And this is why we've been very successful and happy for 35 years. How on earth? What? Actually, there's so many questions I have. What type of ingredients did you find first that you used that were indigenous? Uh, like uh, uh, bush tomatoes, lemon aspen, uh, all, all these sort of, uh, um, you know, beautiful things that people would condom and they would bring to me. Uh, some uh, some lit, uh, tea leaves, wild mm. tea leaves. Some uh, no, it was mainly uh, vegetables and fruits. No uh, animals. No. Okay. Yeah. No. no, no that's that's similar to New Zealand here as well because I've become very fond of different leaves and things that add and impart different aromas and flavors from the New Zealand. Uh, landscape as well. So I understand what you're saying. So there's different types of leaves and things that you can use to infuse. Many, many fruit and vegetables, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. How did you meet Indigenous? I mean, how did people know that you were going to be open to that? Because it's uh, not so easy in Melbourne. No, because our first restaurant, and we opened in 1986, we had the great opportunity to meet uh, someone called uh, Neil MacLeod who had a very strong relationship with with Aboriginals, mm-hmm. and uh, he offered to um, to uh, put some Aboriginal arts and decorate completely the restaurant oh, wow. with that. So at the time, it was very adventurous to do this yes. in Melbourne. Oh, in totally, totally. But I did so, and through this connection, this is where I met all these indigenous people, and that's where. And this, they, they, they brought to me uh, all this product, which I didn't know and had no idea how to use it up. Mm. And then we working together, we worked out this cuisine. That is so fantastic, Jacques. That is such a fantastic story. And you're so right, because 1986, things were pretty mainstream and oh, pretty yeah. boring. Uh, and there's certainly, we didn't really have a, an Aussie cuisine, did we? I mean, we were kind no, of no. like, you know, we were blessed to have the Tony Sassis from Italy or whatever bringing some true Italian flavours in uh, to cuisine rather than just stock standard going and, and having spaghetti bolognese yeah. somewhere. And we had, you know, uh, some fantastic Turkish restaurants starting to open up. But in general, there wasn't really any sort of thing that you could say, oh, this is, this is the, representing Australia. Mm-hmm. at that time. So that was very adventurous of you. So it was a big risk, but paid off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was it the restaurant that you opened at that time, because I didn't have the pleasure to eat there, was it um, five-star type dining that you were yeah, creating? Yeah, it was, it was a fine dining restaurant, yes. A fine mm-hmm. dining, which was very uh, popular in those days. Have you noticed over the change of the last 35 years that there's been a big shift in the way people enjoy dining? Well, this is, I, I don't think it's a big shift. I think it's just the way that, you know, we live today in 2017. We don't have maybe the, the time as well to spend, you know, five hours in a restaurant. And, mm-hmm. and as well, you know, it's becoming very expensive today uh, to uh, run a fine dining restaurant. So you have to charge the appropriate prices. And that limits as well, you know, the clientele. Mm. Uh, but there is always be room for someone who does 
something good, interesting, innovative, and it will be irrelevant how much it costs. Yeah, yeah. There's always going to be a market for it. What I'm interested in as well is that I think, would you agree that the dining customer is actually probably more sophisticated and more informed in, in our countries, in Australia and New Zealand, than they were and yet possibly prefer a more relaxed environment to eat that amazing food in? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 are, we are two countries which are, you know, really ahead of the world in terms of food and wine and uh, leading the new way to maybe, you know, appreciate uh, the gastronomy in a different way than we used to, to serve it or we used to have an approach 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And I know that you're going to be a part of the Melbourne Wine and Food Festival that's coming up and I'm very excited because I'm coming over for that as well. Um, what part are you playing in the festival this year? Uh, we're doing quite a few exercises. There is um, there is a dinner that we're going to do uh, with a dining uh, experience, which is from San Pellegrino. Uh, there is a couple of um, legend, a legend dinner as well. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to help out some chefs who are coming from overseas for the uh, San Pellegrino 50 best restaurants. Uh, they're going to go to Tasmania as well, and uh, I'm going to help them out, you know, to resource the products uh, and uh, work a little bit with them if they need to, because we're going to make a sort of a promotion for the young students at the TAFE in, in, in Tasmania to encourage them to. Uh, enter our industry and this will be a fantastic really fantastic events for Launceston and for Hobart to bring all these big names you know from around the world so I'm very excited about that that's amazing yeah how fantastic so why Tasmania Uh, because there is a guy very intelligent who who, uh, is is, uh, running the state in Launceston Christopher and uh he had this idea last year to start the first great chef series. So last year he did it with uh, local Australian chefs. And this year, as when he heard that uh, the 50 best restaurants would be nominated and held in Melbourne, he decided to contact his overseas chefs and say, well, while you're in Melbourne, why don't you come and stay one week with us in Tasmania. We'll show you, you know, our beautiful state. And you will do a couple of events, one lunch and one dinner. And it will be, you know, your contribution for the week that we're going to give you to spend in, in, in our state. So they, they, they were very keen to do so. And it has been working really well so far. And we're going to do this exercise yeah, in the next couple of weeks. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Fantastic. So these chefs are coming to Melbourne as well because they're part yes, also of the Melbourne right. Wine and Food yeah, yeah. Festival. It sounds like an amazing event that they put together in Melbourne. Um, I've been, I'm really excited to be coming over for the four days actually and immersing myself, A, in my favourite city in Australia. Uh, and secondly, um, yeah, to just have an opportunity to come to yes. all the masterclasses because uh, it's lifelong learning, isn't it, Jacques? So 
I think, you know, if anyone in our industry or in the food industry has the impression that they've kind of learnt all there is to learn, uh, that's not, not the case. We can always learn more about food. For sure. Yeah. So with regards to these festivals, do you find uh, – you've done them before, haven't you? You've been part of the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival before? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you find that the people that are coming are real foodies or do you think that there's also kind of the avenue for just people who are quite interested to see what's happening to sort of join in and come to these masterclasses and things as well? Or do you do you find it's more of a really true foodie level of people who are engaged? So I think it's more, you know, a good way to meet all your friends and have a good time. Yeah. So good ambience, this is, this great fun, fabulous food. <laughs> Nothing should be too serious, you know? Yeah, nothing should be too serious. I like that Mm. too. Now, in all of that that you have done and achieved, Jacques, you've also had four children with lovely Cathy. Yep. Yep. And your kids are now all involved in hospitality too. Was that that something that you encouraged or you're actually rolling your eyes that the fact that all of your children have ended up? No, no, no. No, no. I I never push my kids to do whatever. You know, I said to them that they they can do whatever they want. It's it's their own decision. If they want to be part of the hospitality industry, they can do it. If they want to be a plumber or whatever, they can do that as well. (laughs) It doesn't really matter to me. So yeah. as long as they enjoy and, you know, what they're doing, as long as they enjoy it, I know they will be successful and that's it. Yeah, absolutely. So. Absolutely. But they are all working uh, together, aren't they? Or or am I not right? No, no, we're all working together. You're you know, all working together on a new restaurant? Uh, no, we've got, we got two restaurants still. So we've got uh, a Bistro Gitan and Hotel Gitan. So we see each other on a daily basis and work all together on on these, these two establishments here. Yeah. And that's in Paran? Uh, yeah, yeah, they're both in Paran. One is in Turak and one is in Paran, but that's weird. It's five minutes from each other. Oh, hilarious. And does everybody get on well or is it quite heated at times? No, 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 no. It's a very good spirit and good, spirit. Uh, good understanding, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So um, explain the two restaurants. Are they different to each other? Uh, is, are they different in style? They're very similar in terms of cuisine, very, very similar, but they're totally different in terms of uh, uh, decor and uh, concept. One is uh, really for the foodies, while the other one is really uh, for good entertainment, with beautiful kitchen, big exposure. Uh, good fun and, and bigger volume than the other one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. And if you if you were to set up something, or if you were in your dream position of you didn't have to worry about money or trying to create a business, what would you what would you cook? What sort of cuisine would you absolutely love to cook? My cuisine. <laughs> Which what is. Else? What else? <laughs> so, it, can you explain in words exactly what your cuisine is? It's very difficult to explain in words. Mm. Uh, you, you, you can't really explain a cuisine because a cuisine has a philosophy. And this philosophy, it is, it's really part, in a, when you do your own cuisine, it's really part of what you have to work with and what you like and what you know. So this combined together creates your own style. And for this own style, There is no words to explain that. Or what you say is, come and join me, taste what I do, and 
tell me if you like it. That's, that's what I say. Well, that sounds like a wonderful invitation (laughs) for me and for any of our listeners. So, yeah, no, I I can imagine that it would be quite um, difficult to explain. Some people will say, okay, what is your cuisine? And you'd say, well, my cuisine is French cuisine, is Thai cuisine, is Chinese cuisine, is Italian cuisine. I don't do that. And I can change, you know, on a daily basis what because it all depends what I got to work with. Sure. So it's very seasonal anyway, and and obviously daily basis, daily basis, not seasonal, daily basis. So every day seasonal doesn't mean anything today. You can find things, you know, all year round if you want to. So that is true. That is very true. So how do you shop? Do do suppliers come to you? They come to me. So they come to you and say, hey, look what we've got for you today. Like a a fish supplier may arrive and something that he's got today that he didn't have yesterday and you say, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah, he sends me a text message with a photo and, you know, it says, like yesterday, I've got 10 kilos, tell me, 10 kilos of solution from Bay of Fires in Tasmania. Okay, send it over. Then today we'll we'll cook solution. So you are still completely immersed in all of that. Yes, I am. Wow. And which of your, are any of your kids actually chefs? No, they're not. No. So they're just helping run, run the business side of things they, or front of house are, or PR. Yeah. They, they, they are the directors and the managers. Yeah. Wow. So you're still executive chef. Uh, well, I don't like this word executive chef. I've never been an executive chef. I'm more a composer. Okay. And through the composer, I direct a show which I have some executants. And these executants are now better than I am because of my age. And they are performing at a very high level. So I'm not a chef executive. Uh, I'm just a simple advisor, consultant, and helping out whoever needs me. That's all what I do. Jacques, I love composer. That is fantastic. You're the first person I've ever interviewed who's described themselves like that, and I totally love that. That is awesome. That is absolutely awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's fantastic. On a fun level, have you ever had like a massive failure in the kitchen that you can remember that you could share? (laughs) (laughs) You, You always have, you know. As it's a, it's an industry where you work with your hands and you work with your brains on a daily basis, and nothing is totally established. Um, so you always have some hiccups, and uh, you have to be prepared to accept that. And sometimes, you know, you can make mistakes, uh, but if you are prepared to uh, accept this situation, it will make you a better chef, mm. a better person to work with, you know, with your team. And yeah. that's very important. So, yes, we've had some, you know, <laughs> small ones and big ones, disasters, but <laughs> we always take it, you know, as part of our life. So you've, you've still managed to get food out, even in spite of some disasters at the uh, time? Yes, yes, we do. Yes, <laughs> yeah, we do. Absolutely. Yeah. And what, what would be, in all of your travels and your experience of different uh, ingredients, what, what would be the most exotic or strange thing that you've tried? Uh, look, I, I tried, I had this question last night. I was doing a big dinner 
for this Swiss company and I had exactly the same questions. And I said to this lady, look, I tried pretty much everything which is edible on earth. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, so nothing really for me is more appealing or more revolting than, you know, anything else, what, whatever I've had. Uh, so uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I think I like everything with what, whatever is edible. Uh, as a chef, you have to try it. Yeah, that's and, true. And it's your challenge to really make it something special. So even if it doesn't look good, find a way to transform it and make it good. Yeah, that's a good attitude. Out of interest, because I just interviewed Peter Gordon the other day and he said the one thing he just cannot get past is durian fruit. Have you tried durian? Well, yeah, that's not my cup of tea. Sorry, well, it's not your cup of tea either. There you go. <laughs> it's a really hard flavour for a Western person to get their head around. I think unless you have grown up, Assuming that that is just something that you eat and smell every day, I just don't know how no. you can get. I mean, I've tried it because I thought I should. You cannot transform a durian, <laughs> or you know, work with this product. And for me, this is not interesting. That's exactly That's what it. Peter Gordon said as well. So there you go. You're in good company. Too funny. <laughs> Did you, as you grew up, did you in the chefing world have have a sort of someone you looked up to, a mentor chef or or someone that you sort of took as being, you know, someone that was important role? Like for me, you know, meeting Tony Sassy, I remember just thinking, oh, I really do love food. Like this is my moment. I realise I really love food. One day I'd love to get to Italy. Um, you know, was there someone that obviously you, I'm not a chef, I'm just passionate about food, but you became a chef. Was there a chef around at any period that you went, oh, that, you know, that is sort of someone that I love to follow? Uh, there, there, there was someone that then uh, not gave me a, a little, some inspiration for uh becoming a better chef and a better person and uh, but otherwise I have never followed anyone in terms of cuisine I've always done my own style mm. uh, but this person showed me a lot of humility and a lot of respect not only for the products but as well for his team and his staff and uh, this is why I will always remember him. But otherwise, no, I've never followed anyone at all regarding his cuisine. No. Okay. And with, res with regards to the way that this um, person inspired you, was that in running a team in a kitchen as well, rather than screaming and shouting at other chefs or not encouraging them? Because I know in talking to a lot of chefs that there are different stories about how, how a chef will run a kitchen and mm. how they will treat their staff. So is that where you kind of drew your inspiration in, in following yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, how does it work in a kitchen with you? I mean, what what do you expect of staff? Well, I expect total dedication and you know, hundred uh, percent commitment, even more than hundred uh, percent. In return, I will give all my support and I'll give you very good conditions of work. So that's all. Mm -hmm. That's all I ask. I don't ask the people to be super, super uh, 
qualified and all that because I can train them. We can teach them as long as they're prepared to listen. But uh, we want total dedication. Mm. And your wife, how is she in the hospitality trade as well or has she just been yeah, the yeah. most – oh, she is. Yeah. So what, what's her role? Well, her role has been to look after the administration all, all the time. So oh, wow. Been, uh, okay. So it's been that a, for 40 years. Oh, yeah. that's amazing. So it has been a true team effort. Yeah. Is she there? Uh, or has she run know. away? I don't know where she is. <laughs> I thought I'd have a little chat to her too, sneak Kathy in there, but maybe another time. <laughs> Can I ask you before I let you go, uh, Jacques, do you have a favourite cookbook? No, I don't. No, what about Kathy? Does she use cookbooks or do you cook at home? No, she has a couple of very, uh, very old French uh, cookbooks that she uses from time to time, but that's about it. Yeah, so who does do... We, do we, we just cook on inspiration as well. Yeah, okay. So you're yeah. just... Uh, do you cook at home? Uh, a little bit. But she, she mostly she does? does yeah, yeah. yeah. She's a very good chef, yeah, very good cook. Yeah. So you're quite happy to come home and relax and enjoy her food? Oh, well, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. Sure. Jacques, thank you so much for your time. It was absolutely fantastic. And um, it would be amazing to be able to say hi to you um, if you get a chance at the Melbourne Wine and Food Festival and maybe, you know, take a photo and at least uh, put a face to a name would Anytime. be awesome. Hmm? So I'll pop sure. up when I see you there and just say hi and let you know who I am. No problem at all. Thank you thank so you. much for your time this morning. You're welcome. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much as always for tuning in to my podcast. It's so awesome to have you all on board for this exciting journey. And I will be podcasting live from Melbourne at the Food and Wine Festival there. And I will also be journaling my amazing experiences there via my Facebook page. So check that out. It's uh, official Vanessa Baxter. And I'll also be posting photos through my Instagram feed, which is Vanessa Baxter NZ. So there'll be lots of live videos. I'll show you what's going on in Melbourne for the Food and Wine Festival. Uh, it is uh, an amazing event. It's actually across two whole weeks. So if you jump onto their website, uh, just Google um, Melbourne Food and Wine Festival, jump onto their webpage and check out all the activities that are there if you are in Melbourne or if you think you can grab a flight at a last minute if you're close by. It is going to be an amazing event for sure. So I'll be there and I'll be bringing as much to you as I can from live feed at the event. Huge thanks to Jacques for a great interview. Thanks to you guys for listening as always. Thanks to World Podcast and Podcast New Zealand for your great support of my ongoing podcast. See you next time. Food, Family and Friends Podcast, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com.